you know, we will think negative thoughts about someone. Someone will gossip about us. Uh, some of that's just out of our own sinfulness, but some of that is Satan. We, we will accuse God of things that Satan did. That's Satan's territory. He accuses man before God, and he accuses God before man. We attribute to God things that God has nothing to do with. We attribute to God things that Satan has to do with. That is Satan saying, man, can you believe what God just did there? How can you follow a God like that? That's Satan accusing God before man. We see this picture in Zechariah, and I think it's Zechariah 3. I haven't been there in many years, but I think it's there. We see a picture of this statement out of Revelation. Joshua the high priest in verse 3 of chapter 3. Uh, let's start with verse 1 of chapter 3. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. In other words, he's praying. And Satan standing at his right hand, resisting him. If we want to know why our prayers sometimes don't seem to go anywhere, sometimes it's my own stuff. But a lot of times, it's Satan resisting it and trying to get us unsettled in our prayer life so that it's not effective. So we've got this being now who was perfect in beauty and wisdom, the greatest of God's creation, walking uh, through the stones of fire, whatever that is. And now there is no truth in him. He is a murderer from the beginning. How did that happen? Well, let's look at this. If God is all of these and more, and we believe him to be, and indeed he is that, if we understand that he is the sum of all of this, he is the sum and he is the source of holiness, of righteousness, of grace, of love, of truth. He is the source of it. He is the sum of it. Outside of God, these do not exist. Facsimiles uh, may exist. Counterfeits may exist. They may look truthful. They may look like light. But they're counterfeits. If if God is, this is his nature, and he has created everything, then these qualities that are who he is, they do not exist outside of him. So if he is the source of holiness and of goodness, then he can't bend his holiness to accommodate our unholiness Because if he did and entered into a relationship with something that was not like him, was unequally yoked, and so he became like us to be in relationship with us, what would happen to holiness? What would happen to those characteristics in him if he could bend them? And if he's the source and the sum of all that, Outside of him, that doesn't exist. And he bends his holiness to accommodate our unholiness. 
then we are lost. Holiness is lost. It doesn't exist anywhere else outside of him. And if he changes that to come into a relationship with man whom he loves, but who is now flawed and blemished all over the place, and he changes that, then there is no more source in all the universe of holiness. It's gone. It's like pour, pouring arsenic into a spring and then drinking of the water. It's gone. Okay. Lucifer was here in this realm of light. But when he decided he could be greater than God, when he decided he could be at least like God, and God threw him out of this place, he threw him out over here into, let me get another color here, the, the absence of what he had in full perfection here. When God threw him out because he rebelled against God, let me do this a little differently. He became the absolute, because we're in absolute zone here. When he rebelled and God removed him from this, he moved into the absence of love. The absolute absence of love. So his nature became one of hate. He moved into the absence do we even put love in here? Yeah. He moved into the absence of truth, which is lies. He is the father of lies, and there is no truth in him. He moved into a realm that was the ab had the absence of truth, the absence of life, which is death. He is a murderer from the beginning. The absence of of good, which is what? Evil. The absence of light, which is darkness. And Christ calls him the prince of the darkness of this world. Now, not only does he have these characteristics, he embodies these characteristics. And we're in a spirit realm here. Christ is spirit. God is spirit. Satan is spirit. And what he has done here is he has taken these characteristics and he has infused these characteristics with his spirit life force. I need to turn my phone off. <laughs> yes. So what, he, what has happened here, because Satan is spirit, he has taken his spirit and he has infused these characteristics with his spirit life and made them, in a sense, a dark living force. 
So when Christ in John talks about Satan, he's he calls him the evil one. In John 13 and John 17, he calls him the evil one. The Greek word for the evil one there is poneros, P-O-N-E-R-O-S. And it means malignant evil. It's malignant evil because his spirit life has, has infused it itself into all of these characteristics. So this is his nature. And because he is in the absolute realm as well, God can't act contrary to his nature and Satan cannot act contrary to his. And we have a really hard time, as I said before, grabbing hold of absolute because we are constantly acting contrary to who we think we are. We have phrases like, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I thought that. What was I thinking? What was wrong with me? I will never act that way again. And then tomorrow we wake up acting that way again or next week. If our commitment has been really solid for a week. <laughs> That's us. We are dual. We are dual-natured creatures, beings. God is not, nor is Satan. So what light does this shed on why there was in uh, the midst of paradise not only a tree of life but a tree of death pardon okay there were the two absolute what did someone else want to say okay uh, he, he had to give Adam and Eve choice. And it couldn't be a bogus choice. That's why there is a tree of life, but there's also a tree of death, because the only alternative to God, the only actual alternative is Satan. There is no other adversary, no other opponent to God. It is either life or death. It is either God or Satan. Now, he didn't put the word Satan on there. He just gave them a choice. And he said, don't eat of that tree. Don't eat of that tree. So, um, you have then, because Satan was cast down to the earth, and I'm not going to get into it anytime soon, but we can get into it later why he was cast down to earth. But he was cast down here. But he couldn't have any authority. Satan could not have any authority over this planet unless man who had authority over the planet, Adam and Eve, authority to, to name the animals, to till the ground, to grow and be fruitful and multiply. That was authority that Adam was given over the entire planet of earth. And Satan could not by restraint of God, come in and take over in a coup this planet. This planet had to be given to him by man's choice, the choice of the one who was in authority over the planet to choose to not do it God's way. Now, why do they have to have a choice? Because 
Okay, and so why is it important that, it, that we not be in a robot-type relationship with God? I mean... Okay. In his image. Okay. And all of that comes out of his nature. What you all are saying is exactly right. God's love is different than your love and my love. God's love moves toward the object that he loves for what he can give to the object. It is like an artesian well that flows out to us for no ulterior motive. His love has no strings attached. It goes out. Our love will have strings attached. Our love is a conditional love. No matter how hard we try, we will wind up having some conditions to our love. Human love moves toward an object for what the object can give to me. And so God's love flowing out by nature, has to have an object that he can share his love with. And that object is the one that he created in his image to make us compatible to receive his love. Compatible to be in relationship with him, but because he is truth, his truth nature requires that we have an authentic, honest relationship with him. Not robot. His truth nature requires that we have a choice. His truth nature requires that that choice be authentic, that it not be some bogus um, um, little symbol, but that it be the real thing. And so in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't just the tree of life and just some other, other item that was meaningless. It was the tree of life and the tree of death, that the only real alternative to God was embodied in this tree of knowledge of good and evil. So his nature, his, his um, love nature requires an honest relationship, but his truth nature most assuredly does. So you see, coming out of his nature, we understand why things are set up in the Garden of Eden as they are. Now, once, does that make sense about his nature and how? So, well, I'm, I'm resting, I guess. 
Okay, what... Yeah, and, and, and he, he has to have an authentic, genuine, honest relationship with us. It can't be robotic. Yes. Yes, I think it did, and and it's it's really hard to put this in. But W. A. Criswell, who was a pastor of First Baptist Church for many years, and I didn't agree with W. A. Criswell on a lot of things, but I think he's dead on here in his understanding in Genesis one. Between verses 1 and 2, my page is tearing out of my Bible, um, he believes this marks when Satan was thrown out of heaven. In the beginning, he's, uh, the scripture says, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was void and without form. The word was there is used almost 700 times in the Hebrew, is translated became. Almost 700 times in the Bible, that word that is now used here as was is also used elsewhere over 700, I think it's 760 times as became. So if you read it, and the earth became without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. W.A. Criswell maintains that God did not create heaven and earth void and without form. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth, and there was something there that was more than being without form and void. And he believes that what made the creation of God void and without form, the earth creation, was the throwing down of Satan uh, from heaven. So he believes it happens there between verse 1 and verse 2, and I think that's probably right. Yes? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he seemed to have authority. They, they, he had a dominion. So he, are we saying that with him being the prince of the air, that when man, when man was here, and man disobeyed, that that's where Satan got his foothold back in? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes, because he's the ruler. He, I, I, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers of the unseen. He was a ruler, and, and we can get into that next time. We're not going to have time to get into it tonight. But he had a dominion. And we don't know what that was, but it may have been earth before Adam as part of his authority dominion. And, uh, I mean, this gets into real ethereal stuff, so... So when Satan, when Satan was cast out, he was cast down to earth, and I think he, it says he blighted in Ezekiel. He destroyed his sanctuaries. He blighted, that's in Ezekiel 28, um, that he says he destroyed his sanctuaries. He corrupted his sanctuary or his dominion. And W.A. Criswell believes that that happened between verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 1. 
And I, I think that's likely. I mean, you know, we're in conjecture zone here. But uh, I don't know how we got to that. <laughs> um, he is, he is in um, authority now over this earth because Adam, who had authority over, ceded it to him. And so now we have man being blighted, and I'm not going to get into chapter 3 this time. We will get into it next time about the changes that came, these cataclysmic changes that came to the physical earth. But what I want to get into in the, in the, toward the end of Genesis 3, after the earth changed and pain came and suffering came uh, in chapter 3, thorns and thistles came in chapter 3, pain and childbirth came in chapter 3, contention between Adam and Eve, husband and wife, came in chapter 3. Their sense of shame came in chapter 3. After they had eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, suddenly their eyes were opened. Suddenly they knew themselves to be contaminated and to be shamed. They hid from themselves. They covered themselves in fig leaves. They hid from themselves. The first thing they did when sin came, when sin ruptured paradise, and it was just one simple act. It was just picking the fruit from the tree and eating it. A simple act, but it was in defiance of what God had said, and it was eating of a tree that God had said, if you eat of that tree, you will die. And they ate of the tree. Lo and behold, they didn't drop dead. But everything changed. I think it was in that moment that bees got stingers <laughs> and snakes got venom and poison and thistles came, the scripture says. And, and all the earth creaked and groaned on its axis, turning over from the realm of light that they had been in. And when Adam and Eve, when, not just Eve, but Adam, ate of that tr fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, earth swung over into this darkened realm. And for the first time, they heard the sounds of fear in the animals as one animal attacked and killed another. For the first time, they knew that blood existed. For the first time, fear filled them, not just the terror that the animals were beginning to feel as a lion ate the lamb, but the terror that must have filled Adam and Eve because something dreadful was happening to paradise. We're going to get into that. And uh, so what we see here that I want to get to because it introduces where I'm going next time is you get down to verse 22 through 24. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and eat also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, we will kick him out of the garden. 
They didn't move, God didn't move the garden. The garden became, stayed spiritual, and man turned into physical beings. And in that transition, they couldn't find the garden. They couldn't see the garden. They couldn't access the garden. Why was that? Because up here, when God said, you will surely die, they didn't drop dead immediately. But in what ways, how many deaths did they die when they ate of that tree? It was more than one death. You said it's spiritual. They died a spiritual death with a small s. In other words, in their daily walk, they no longer walked face to face with God in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from him. It was totally scary. This was a whole something they couldn't comprehend, something utterly foreign to their thinking. They had no frame of reference for this that was going on. So they no longer walked with God in the moment with him daily. That separation happened immediately. They also died a spiritual death with a capital S because they were then in that moment separated out from God and if something didn't happen because God said if you eat of this you will die you will surely die and they may have been thinking I don't know what they were thinking they, they couldn't have been thinking physical death they didn't have a concept of physical death they weren't thinking that's the whole problem but they died with a capital S spiritual that their ultimate destination and that of the rest of mankind forever was in an e a state of eternal separation from a holy God because they were no longer holy. When that sin came, their soul and their spirit separated from each other, not, not separated out, but they, they, they separated within the solution of their humanity. You know, you'll have a solution of oil and water and it won't be a solution, it'll it'll separate out, it's still in the flask. Soul and spirit that was one and the same before sin, now separated out and spirit went down into a deep place in man and that spirit died. Now it still had the capacity to be compatible with God, but it was separated out from God. So it's like a, an electrical wire that has no power source to it. It's there, it has the capacity to transport power, but if it's not plugged into the power source, it's, it's dead. It's a dead line. Man still had a spirit then, but it was dead. There was no more life juice flowing through it. It died spiritually. And if something didn't happen to change that, then ultimately those two people and all of mankind thereafter with the dead spirit in them were destined to be permanently, eternally separated from a holy God because God cannot bend his holiness to be in a permanent, eternal relationship with that which is not holy. Can't do it. Can't do it. And then they died physically because their bodies began the dying process. And death awaited them down line. So yes, they did die. They just didn't realize it at the time. Now why did God get them out of the Garden of Eden? 
okay. It says there, if, if they take now and eat of the tree of life. Now, my assumption is that they had been eating of the tree of life. It had not been forbidden to them until this moment. So, my guess is that they were eating of the tree of life. But once their nature changed and their spirit separated from the spirit life of God because he couldn't be in intimate relationship with them anymore because of what they had become and who he was. And he cannot go against who he is. And in Exodus, Moses in 30, chapter 33, Moses said, Lord, let me see your face. And God said, I'll show you my backside because no man can see my face and live. God's holiness is a holy fire, and it consumes anything that approaches him that is not holy. So one of the reasons he moved Adam and Eve out of the garden was to keep them alive from just his holy fire consuming them. The other was that once their sin nature had changed to a corrupted state, had they then reached back into the tree of life and eaten of that eternal fruit, it would have forever sealed their condition so that it could not be redeemed, so that God could not come up with a way to redeem it. So he had to keep their, etern their condition as fallen from being eternal, and he had to remove them from the tree of life so they would not eat of it until he could set up a way to get this fallen man whom he loved back to him. And that introduces us to the next lesson in why Jesus is the only way. Because it goes to his, his nature. God is just. His just nature requires that the one who broke the law pay for the consequence of the law. Pay the price. Whatever the consequence is for that broken law, that law was made from his righteousness. It was a righteous and right law. And the law was if you eat of this tree you will die because it's a, it's a choice with Satan, whether you know it or not, that's what it is. But because he's just, it required that man who broke the law pay the penalty and the consequence for breaking the law. But if man pays the death penalty for the law, there is no redemption. If man pays it, there is only punishment and a, 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 an exacting of the law. But God's love nature said, I will do that for them. But he couldn't do it as God. He had to do it as man. So he sent his son born of a woman, born in flesh, so that he could live perfectly in flesh 
in human fallen flesh, and if he lived perfectly in the flesh, and he died paying the consequence of that sin from, uh, from Adam, that death penalty from Adam, if he died having lived perfectly in flesh, he completed the law. He fulfilled the law of sin and death. He died, but he could overcome it because he died in a perfect state. He reestablished the perfection of, of Adam, the second Adam, reestablished the perfection of the first Adam. Now, here's the other thing. That takes care of the spiritual condition but if he didn't go to hell and take our place in hell, in that ultimate separation, then we have to go there. But the psalmist says that he did go to Sheol. And he took our sins and put our sins where they belong. And he went into hell, into that forsakenness where God was not. On the cross where he said, why have you forsaken me? He was utterly absolutely forsaken by God. There was nothing of God around him or in him. In the cross, he died as a man, he went into the tomb as a man, and he went into hell as man, perfect man, and his father raised him up. And he paid the price for us in hell that we cannot pay and survive. And then he has one last thing to do. He has to somehow still make this believing that this person who believes that Christ did that for, a, for us, he has to make us holy because we can't still go back into a permanent eternal relationship with God, an intimate relationship with God, if we are still unholy. And yes, we do sin. So how does he do that? If we stand at the foot of the cross and recognize what that was about and we accept Christ as our Savior, his Holy Spirit enters into our dead spirit and brings it to life and makes it holy. He may not make our fleshly part, our soulish part holy because that's up to us and what we allow him to do in our lives, but he enters into this place that's compatible in us with him, the spirit place, and he merges with that spirit place like bracken waters, merging his spirit into our spirit and making our spirit eternally holy. So that when our physical sloughs off in death, we are instantaneously in his eternal holy presence as holy. That's why there is no other way to the Father than through Jesus Christ. And that's why he told us to go out into all the world and to let people know this so that they might be saved. I'm going to stop here. There's so much more we could get into. But I want you to think about this. This is your thought question for a month. And you have others there in the gray, two gray sheets if you want to kind of think them through. But I want to ask you what is it saying that if he ate of the tree, 
if they ate of the tree of life, their condition was changed. And if they ate of the tree of life on top of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it would be permanently changed. So God was not prepared to lift the consequence or the effects of either one of those trees. The result and effect of either of those trees was permanent and unchanging. He was not prepared to lift the consequence of the tree of knowledge of good and evil even for the sake of his son. So what is that saying about what these two trees in the garden were? What is that suggesting about what is the nature of those two trees? Neither one if man had eaten of the tree of life on top of having eaten of the tree of death, neither tree, the effect of it was going to be changed. It was a permanent, unchanging, absolute consequence. It's a mystery worth exploring. And I think it sheds tremendous light on why God has to deal with us the way he does here on this planet. Uh, but I want you to be thinking about what is that saying about the nature of those two trees? What were those two trees? I think they were not just trees. They were something else. Okay. Any questions or thoughts or comments? I want to know we've run a little over. Yes. Yes. It was foreshadowing Christ. It sure was. It was it, yeah. <laughs> That's right. The covering of the fig leaves didn't work. He had to have a blood covering. That's beautifully said, Mary Lou. Beautifully said. Yes. Yes. That's why he said don't judge. We don't know what God knows. Exactly. About people and the state of their heart and the way that they are. Absolutely. And when we try to judge, we are doing just like Satan. We are putting, trying to put ourselves in God's spot. Exactly. That is so well said. When we judge, we are putting ourselves in God's spot, which is what Satan did. And... Uh, we are dealing with two absolute beings in a gray, murky stew of earth. 
And in that murkiness, we think we know what God does not. And the opposite is true. He knows what we don't know. And it is faith that bridges that gap, that allows us to accept things that we don't understand, to accept them by faith because we do know who God is. He is love, even though something is happening that does not look like that. He is just and truth, even though things are happening that don't look like that. Faith tells us to put our trust in him, not in what appears to be. And the answers to so many of the questions that you and I have as Christians and not Christians can be found as we understand the absolute nature of God. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see things we have not seen before, to be awed by you and who you are and what you have done and the mystery of the kingdom here on earth that is yours, the mystery of who you are. Keep and be with each person here this night. Keep their hearts and their minds in your love. I pray this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, our Redeemer. Amen.